Uh, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the May 24th, 2023 QPSC. Madam Clerk, roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Esteen is absent. Trustee Sayu. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, uh, this At this point, we kind of review our purpose of our QPSC, which we do at the top of every QPSC. The QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with the continuing practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. So there's our purpose. And uh, now we'll open it up for public comment, if any. I have none. All right, so we're moving on time. So um, the article chosen for today was entitled Relative Value Units and the Measurement of Physician Performance. Um, I chose this article because there have been a, a lot of rising dialogues on the discussion of RBU in this organization. And um, I'll, I'll say that I've gotten feedback from a number of different places on the, on the tenors of the discussion and the like. So I thought it would be great to try and educate ourselves on, on this. I'll open up with a few uh, a little comments and then I'll open it up to my esteemed trustees. A little history, which is not included in the article. So this is always fun. So in 1966, the need for standardized language to describe medical services prompted the creation of something called the Current Procedural Terminology or CPT coding system. This coding system persists today and it's used by nearly all payers to communicate standardized information about medical services. So that was in 1966. In 1989, the Center for Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid Services, which was then called uh, the, the Healthcare Financing Administration, began reimbursing for healthcare services based on coding systems, which there were a variety of which existed at the time. In 1991, just two years later, the American Medical Association created the Relative Value Scale Update Committee, uh, which they call the RUC. And this committee was created to make recommendations about the relative value of physician work for Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries based on those CPT codes uh, system, which was developed in 1966. And then just one short year later, Medicare began using RBUs for reimbursement. And then as they say, the rest is history. So this article, that, that, that history sort of frames the article. I, I have a number of quotes in there that, that sort of resonated with me, but I'm gonna defer to my esteemed colleagues here about any comments on the RBU discussion. Uh, Trustee Sign has a long history with CMS, so he might provide us some, with some insights here. Uh, at the risk of revealing my vintage, <laughs> I worked on this. And of course the relative value units are the procedure and then the work component and the, you know, these, these three components and the gypsy, the geographical and all And I did the outreach on this and it was a tough sell to the physicians obviously, but like everything that's done in, in Medicare, it ends up being sort of the standard because nobody else wants to spend the money to develop a system. Right. <laughs> and I thought the article was quite good. And uh, in an organization like this, where you've got physicians doing work that the organization is kind of billing for and then paying the physicians, the incentive of the organization is gonna to be to try to maximize the reimbursement from that physician work. And that means crack the whip and RBUs. When I went to graduate school, everybody came out and this is 1990 when I came out and they're going to work buying these physician practices. So now you've got this physician who's working like 12 hours a day killing himself as you so well <laughs> established in a previous article that we read or 
a comment you made about the hours. Um, and so as soon as you buy the practice, now Doc's going home at five o'clock, you know, yeah. and the money's not rolling in the way we thought it did. It didn't work out very well. So the, the bottom line is there is no perfect system for accounting for things. Uh, there is no perfect way. I think the author of the article makes a great point that wouldn't it be great if we had a system that also considered how people work or, or fulfilling the mission and doing these other things and we would be in this Deming world where everybody is doing their best efforts and you only deal with the people at the margin who are either underperforming or overperforming. But that never seems to kind of happen that that uh, halcyon place. But I think we do would do well to strive to do that to, to build a better and more broader uh, compensation structure. And it would be interesting to know how like the Kaisers and the, the Geisingers and some and Denver Health even yes sir yeah, and how some of the other groups manage this. Yeah. Well great I, I do sorry and more than two cents and uh, a deep <laughs> perspective that trustee Banerjee. Yeah I agree with a lot of what these uh, folks have said too about like this not being the perfect and that you and I think that that is where the crux is that everything in the healthcare system, especially in the US is so imperfect, right? I shared something with the board trustees a few, a uh, couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, where the financing in the healthcare system is so designed for inequity that we pay things for things and we don't, uh, so that was in the national grand rounds. So I do feel that, but, as we've, um, this, this is a, um, not the perfect system and this is the standard system in a lot of ways. And so value-based healthcare is hard and it's kind of disruptive um, sometimes to the status quo as we are thinking about. So if we were to like think about uh, values as like, how do we center value for the patient? Should we, and we have that in our dashboard, DNM dashboard sometimes. And I think that if some of our compensation was set to some of our DNM dashboard, that would be harder for us, I think, to achieve because we've seen how hard some of those aspects are if they were equity based and things. So it's a, it is one of those things where. We have to keep tweaking and making this better as we um, as we work on the uh, perfect should not be the enemy of the good, and that you know with and also that I so I did a uh, literature review of some of the other things that were coming in where how does do we think sometimes that RVUs get in the way of patient care like these are two mutually exclusive things. Either you have productivity or you have patient care. You can't have both, like one comes at the expense of the other. And there's there's a very good BMJ article on that too, that how, um, when you're looking at safety net and you're looking at understanding for acuity and complexity of care, how sometimes uh, you can account for that. So again, the idea is it's not perfect. And uh, what are some other, what are the models and approaches, but this is the most commonly used one, even in our safety net practices. Oh, great comments, Trustee Banerjee. Sort of two funny quotes came to mind. I love how you say it's not one or the other, it's, it's both. And uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi said, only Siths 
think in, in absolutes, right? It's somewhere in between. Right, I'm always going to bring in Tony Smart. And then I'm going to think about Churchill when Churchill said, uh, uh, democracy is the worst kind of government there is, except for every other kind. So this is sort of what we have, the system that we have in place. And I think it's sort of incumbent upon us to kind of think about how we can round this out better. I'll end with this, with, with this quote. Um, uh, it is clear that incentive systems, primarily based on RBUs, to the exclusion of quality or value metrics, are at variance with the underlying tenet of medicine as a profession unambiguously dedicated to the welfare of the patient and the community. While it is understandable that health systems need a mechanism to match the amount of work with which uh, uh, required number of clinicians, RVU should only be one component of the assessment of the clinician performance and not the primary one. So I think we're all sort of on the same page and we don't have a better way right now. But I think this is our opportunity here is to think about those, those better ways and, and uh, be, uh, be, be cognizant of the unintended consequences of RVUs, which, is, which in, 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 its, in its extreme uh, posits more rather than better. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, when I was first hearing the RV discussions, my, 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 my smart alecky comments were, I should never be in clinic again. I'm a proceduralist. I should only be doing procedures if, if this is RVUs. And, and even further extreme, again, I'm using extreme here, a Jonathan Swift kind of thing. I should never see a non-English speaking patient again because it's, too, it's, it's inefficient. It takes more time. That's but that's not what we do here. That's how it works for the CAPG. Yeah, yes, sir. Exactly. This was one, like, and also, like, it was, like, debunking the mythical divide between patient experience and physician productivity, too, in that sense. But, again, what everything what was said here, it's not the only one. It is one of many because, and the how might we have, like, individual, but there was one article that said NEGM came today. Yeah. in my mailbox. Um, how can we have like individual plus division or departmental and things? And I think we have some of our quality, you know, culture things of like where um, at the granular level, group-wise are also happening and then the individual is, yeah, this is so. Um, so to... I'll, I'll, I'll thank everyone for discussion, open it up for our, uh, uh, any of our executives who, if they have any comment. Non-obligatory, of course. I, I just think that the, sorry, interrupting if I interrupted anyone, but my, my takeaway, I don't have the article up in front of me, but the takeaway was really, I think that quote half that you just um, shared again, which is that it should never be the single marker of the value of a physician. It has to be one of many. And of course, there's so much more quality um, to a physician than one metric. And so I, I do think that we need to look in the sum total uh, around how we quantify performance should include lots of measurements of quality. Thank you, Dr. Tony. And I think we have a great opportunity to message to our physicians that they are more than RVUs. Uh, I think that's an important message for our physicians. If I may, I, I sir. I couldn't agree more. And I think that to the extent that we can take the animus out of this conversation, I would like to, because this is directly related to the perception of how we respect and honor our physicians. 
And, you know, when you're talking about how their productivity is measured, that's kind of a natural consequence of that. And in no way should this be taken as a perception that our docs are not working hard or not doing their best or don't want to have good quality care. Yes, sir. We're not recreating the wheel here. And so I just, I would urge everybody to step back and remain as objective as possible. And we are trying to find a way to fairly compensate our physicians that is compliant with the regulatory agencies that we are obliged to comply with and that embrace equity. That's all. Yeah. And so to the extent that we can take the, the personal out of it in the sense that we are somehow diminishing the value of our doctors or that we don't want to pursue optimum um, productivity, I think those are incorrect statements and I just wanted to take that off the table. That would be great. Thank you for that, James. I do feel like that the reciprocity and making sure, like you said, the message goes to the physicians, but also, uh, and, and also that it's not, um, that they're, uh, that the care, that it, it's, it's not to bring animus into it or one side is that, oh, sometimes if, if we are all, wanting exactly the same thing for our patients, I think. And sometimes we forget that because it seems like this, this you're on the opposite sides, which I hope we are not. I, 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 just, sir, just a quick comment. Um, I actually felt that the article was somewhat freeing in the sense that, number one, nobody's figured it out. Yeah. Number two, we should beat ourselves up because we may not have perfect idea yet of how it's supposed to occur. Um, and number three, it really has to be individualized to the type of organization you are. Yes, sir. You know, um, a for-profit's going to be different than a non-profit. A safety net's going to be different than an academic medical. I mean, there's just so many differences um, with organizations in healthcare that we'd be remiss if we didn't think what works for us and not beat ourselves up trying to figure out what best practice in the market is, but rather take all the ideas and say, what makes sense for us today? Well, thank you for everyone for the pause. Uh, I agree to think about how we do things, which is how, which is the purpose of what we do here. So thank you everybody. I'm sorry, if I may, just a quick comment. Yeah. As the CEO, I'm very clear that there is no intent to be disrespectful or demeaning to anybody in this process but this is it's challenging and so i just to the extent that people cannot take it personal and can step back and just try to see that we're all you know i think the, the chair the chair of energy said it we, at the end of the day we all want the same thing we want to provide quality care equitable care at a fair rate that's what we're trying to get to and if people can stop getting in their feelings about this that would really help a lot all right, with that, we'll close out item A, and we'll go to item B, the consent agenda. Trustees, uh, the consent agenda is before you, before entertaining a motion to approve B1 through B4. Do you feel that there's anything that needs to be pulled for discussion? Not from me. Sir? No. May I entertain a motion to approve the entire consent agenda, B1 through B4? I'll move that we approve the consent agenda. Excellent. Sir? Sorry. Um, <laughs> Madam Clerk? Uh, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Sidey. Aye. Uh, the motion passes. Thank you. Excellent. So we are past item B. Item C is now when we hear from our medical staff leaders. 
Um, there's Dr. Lee. Who do we have in the room? Uh, there, there's Dr. Joshi. Is Dr. Vizali here? Oh, wow. Wow, we got three for three. Uh, so uh, welcome, med staff leaders. Um, this is the portion where we hear from you. Um, how about we'll go, uh, let's go with Dr. Joshi. We're going left or right on our screen. Okay, hi, Good evening, thank you. I'm sorry I'm working clinically, um, but- Don't be sorry for working clinically. <laughs> yes, um, I'm happy to be working clinically, <laughs> um, but you can see my report in the board book and wanna highlight under community. So uh, we're gonna be working with the PACE team, we the med staff to set up the 4th of July parade. This has been a tradition in the past. The last several years, they have not had a parade. From what I understand, it's an amazing good time. It's at least three miles long. So um, myself and one of the clerks will be working with the PACE team to organize the team. So we encourage everyone to participate with us. Um, otherwise, going down to sustainability. In our last time you see, we spent a lot of time, had a great conversation that was headed by Mario Harding talking about the contingency planning regarding infrastructure and our operational needs uh, regarding chillers and equipment. Contingency meaning, for example, if we were to have weather-related events such as the extreme temperatures like the heat we had last um, late summer. So we're already starting to look at what those types of contingency plans would look like. So it's wonderful because it's very proactive and collaborative. And Mario gave a nice update about that. In terms of the strategic plan, our next joint planning committee meeting will be June 26th. Our main meeting was canceled. So the next one will be June 26th. And happy to answer any questions at this time. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Joshi from Alameda Hospital? Um, I wanted to congratulate Dr. Joshi for your um, fellowship. Just so deserved and you are an amazing leader. So, and we are really glad that you'll be part of this prestigious fellowship. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. I wanted to chime in too that uh, I attended uh, Mario's presentation at the Alameda Chamber of Commerce yesterday. Well, wasn't a big crowd there, but there were you know a handful of members there, and uh, he did a really good job of walking through the challenges uh, that the hospital faces. And you know, I think it's important that the business community. As well, as well as other um, cohorts of people in Alameda, like understand what we're trying to manage uh, as a district board and uh, from the perspective of the system as well, and what we're doing for them. And he did a really great job. It was, it was a very nice feeling to it, I thought. So. Mr. CEO, any comments on, on the progress of the dialogues? Uh, for those of you who uh, were not at the board retreat, Trustee Banerjee uh, created a great agenda item where we heard from the healthcare district. Uh, so we've been continuing to have these discussions. These, this is a priority action item for our for our system to discuss. Um, Mr. Frasky, anything? No updates. No updates, sir. Okay. Trustee Banerjee, any other comments on that? Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Joshi. Good evening, Dr. Fazali. Uh, good evening, all. Uh, San Leandro Leadership Committee met uh, a week later, but nonetheless, we had a uh, good discussion. Uh, welcoming the new perioperative manager, uh, Trudy Grief, um, followed by uh, congratulating the medical staff as well as the uh, 
uh, hospital in general for having a great uh, showing on the culture of safety response group <laughs> at 97%, uh, which was the highest we've done uh, to date. Um, so proud of that for sure. Uh, uh, a lot of focus on quality and sustainability, uh, the top discussion being surgical services, uh, quality of cases at San Leandro are uh, increasing with three operating rooms running uh, five days a week, plus emergency and after hour surgeries. And then there's also an expansion of the type of surgeries that are being performed at San Leandro, uh, ortho hand, there's consideration for ortho spine and increased capacity of endovascular procedures. Uh, after some OR upgrades, which are well on track, such as lights and lead shields. Um, and uh, our uh, uh, Dr. Moganem chaired this month's meeting and him being a vascular surgeon himself is very much invested in this conversation. Uh, so uh, I personally am thankful that we have such good representation uh, on this. We've been talking about San Leandro surgical capacity for some time and it's uh, it's well on track. Uh, there was a discussion about the protocol for a comprehensive team approach to airway management, which uh, we currently have written up and we'll be going through the MEC and you'll probably see at the at the uh, general board meeting next month. Um, there was also uh, a mention of the EMS uh, critical transport uh, for inpatients going between facilities. As you may recall, last year we talked about uh, emergency uh, or 911 transfers in case of delayed uh, critical care transports uh, that the emergency department can do. Uh, happy to report that Alameda uh, County Emergency Services has expanded that to the inpatient as well. Uh, and so that was shared and, and discussed. Um, and uh, lastly, I wanted to specifically thank the quality department for sharing uh, SLH-specific True North metrics uh, uh, from the dashboard, highlighting both accomplishments and opportunities. Without going into any of these, because I'm sure everybody sees them frequently, uh, we specifically appreciate that these were broken down into, into San Leandro-specific data that, uh, that were relevant to the committee. And that was the last item on my report. Thank you all. Thanks, Dr. Fazali. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Fazali's San Leandro report? Sir? No questions. Thank you, sir. Any, sorry, any update on the bridge thing, the, the SCOD? Um, I, I do not have an update on, on the bridge thing. Uh, I will get an on, offline update for that uh, for the general board meeting next month, uh, to be sure. That would be great. Thank you. Thank you. Got it. Thank you, Dr. Fazali. Good evening, Dr. Lee. Good evening, Board of Trustees. Um, I'm here to present the IHS MEC report. Um, for a community, I just wanted to state that we are looking forward to the opening of a new farmer's market in June at the Wilma Chan Island Hospital campus. And the MEC does support efforts to make the farmer's market accessible to the community that resides besides the Highland Hospital campus. Um, for quality, we approved the AHS and AH medical staff documents, including the privilege forms for addiction, addiction medicine, um, which is specific to the AHS medical staff, as well as forms that for hospitalist multi-facility and orthopedic surgery multi-facility. A quality safety committee approves system-wide implementation of improvement efforts to blood culture ordering and collection processes to improve the rate of contamination or reduce the rate of contamination and improve diagnostic capabilities. This evolved out of the CLABSI work group to reduce central line associated bloodstream infections. 
um, of note, there were no CLOPSI events since December 2022. Um, this is a result of some completed and ongoing workgroup actions, including education to central line necessity, improved ICU checklists, as well as updating dressing change kits. Our GME office focused on resident well-being and establishing capacity to meet mental health needs of residents. Um, there are also efforts to recruit the diverse faculty as well as um, to build research capacity that is housed under the GME umbrella. For staff and patient experience, I wanna thank Dr. Siddhartha for his fearless leadership in the Department of Psychiatry, um, especially his work on patient safety at John George over the last five years. He plans to step down in June of 2023. Our Psychiatry Chair Search Committee launches as well as continuing our chair search for other department chairs, such as emergency medicine, imaging and radiology, orthopedic surgery. For sustainability, the Department of Surgery report was presented by Dr. Victorino. He reported a system integration of general surgery services at all three sites, Highland, Alameda Hospital, and San Leandro Hospital. The American College of Surgeons Level 1 Trauma Re-Verification is due April of 2024. He talked about the number of trauma activations that have steadily increased year after year, such that they are greater than 3,500 in 2022. There's also work to optimize OR utilization and staffing at San Leandro Hospital and Alameda Hospital, as Dr. Abzali discussed, um, as well as we are anticipating a new SPD unit at San Leandro Hospital slated for completion in July of 2024. That is my report and I'm open to questions. Dr. Lee, will you remind our trustees what SPD unit means? Sterile processing department yes. for um, surgical instruments. Yeah, that's very big for us. <laughs> trustees, any questions or comments for Dr. Lee? Yeah. Um, thank you to the team and uh, a real gratitude for Dr. Tanuj Siddharth. He'll be missed. Yes, very much. So, um, Yes, ma'am. May I make a comment? Of course. I just want to address the farmer's market that we're having on the Wilmachan Island campus, that we are going to have a soft opening for staff and uh, patients only so that we can make sure that we've got it uh, right and that we have secured uh, the vendor policies and the, the manner in which they come onto our campus. It's, is clean and tight. And then we still have some, we do plan to invite members of the community once we get that uh, organizational focus and correct. And well, we still have some logistical issues to work out, such as make, making sure they have a good entry into the um, farmer's market, as well as other logistics uh, that we have to work out like the freedom of each table and whether or not that's required. There's certain things that we have to work out, but we're hoping to invite the community in sometime in June. Thank you. That Thank was you. a brilliant idea, Jeff. Uh, I think I, I just walk around the community <laughs> and I see them. People like always kind of making faces at me, so I think they should have a participate in this. So yes, uh, of course. Uh, Madam Chief Strategy Officer, I know this has been a logistical. There's a lot of logistical work behind us, a lot of moving parts. So. Congratulations to you and Ops who are. <laughs> Can you tell me, because I can't remember about the, who are, where, where are the 
the, the fruits and vegetables? Where are they coming from? All local? Uh, we do have a couple of local vendors, one of which you all might be familiar familiar with. It's Dig Deep Farms, uh, they're in Deep. San Leandro, and they're also at Ardenwood, okay. um, where they have 30 acres. Okay. And again, 75% of our providers or farmers are, for, are BIPOC farmers, okay. and they're also providing uh, living wages to their workers. They are a principal farmer's market supplier. Okay. All Alameda County, right? Uh, I'm not, no, some former farmers are not from Alameda okay. County, but they're all BIPOC okay. farmers. Got it. The other no, thing that farms Alameda The other thing that we're trying to leverage is um, connecting these farmers with our food service provider. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that uh, Jeanette has been leading. And the idea being, we really want Morrison's to embrace, you know, these farmers. And if there's a way to get them into their supply chain so that we can start buying in mass from these, you know, BIPOC and local farmers, again, it goes back to that living wage piece. So we think that this is a kind of a force multiplier for yes. trying to support them. Thank yeah. you for supporting this. I think it's I think it's a great move for the org. Yeah, I, I'm excited also that we have to report that we have 300 surveys returned already. And there's a question, how excited are you? Zero to five. It's at 4.64. It was 4.66, yeah. but now it's 4.64. And, and the other thing I should add, and you know, I, I do not want to trivialize the idea of inviting our local community. That was something that we're very strong about and we want to do, but there are just <laughs> logistical issues that we, we have to resolve that Jeanette kind of alluded to. And so beta you know, testing is always smart. Always you know. good to get the game yes, thank you. Always. And you know, I and Chair Banerjee said something earlier, don't and I'm paraphrasing, but don't let the pursuit of perfection prevent you from achieving the good. Yeah. And so we want to get this going. And absolutely, we're gonna do our best to try to engage our local community, but I didn't, we didn't feel like we should hold this up till we had it, you know, just perfect. And that's why we're moving. Done. Trustees, any other comments on this section? Thank you doctors for presenting this evening. With that, we'll close out item C and we'll go to item D. This is the quality reports uh, part, a standing agenda item. We, we've added a second piece we normally hear from patient safety regulatory affairs and our TNM dashboard. Uh, and we've added uh, a second item post-acute from Mr. Espinoza. So um, uh, Dr. Tornabeni is here, Ms. Ana Torres is in the room. Uh, Dr. Tornabeni, do you wanna lead out or do you just wanna tag team to Ms. Torres? I think Ms. Torres can take it away. Hello, Ms. Torres. Hello. Um, so we're gonna do something a little different today rather than go through all the reports which are all in your packet. Um, we're going to have Nelda give us a, a brief overview of the Joint Commission survey. Wonderful. Um, and then uh, with the TNN, I think we all know it's mostly red. Um, but what we do want to do is spend some time discussing the no TNN. Um, so we'll do those two items and an equity uh, deep dive. Ms. Torres, that's actually its own agenda item. Yes. Yeah. But since we only have five minutes, okay. I just want to uh, mention why we're not doing the TNN. Yes, so, Nelda? Okay. Ms. Right. Perez, will you give us a, a voice check? Sure. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and can you see my slides? We can. Okay, fantastic. Small, smaller version. It's not in presentation mode, but acceptable. Something is wrong then. Let me see. Better? Yes, yes. ma'am. Fantastic. Okay, thank you for that. All right. So I'm going to just do um, a, a summary of the learnings from our Joint Commission survey. 
Um, as everyone knows, or has perhaps does not know that we had an unannounced triennial survey started on Tuesday, the 18th of April and ended on Friday, the 21st. We had eight surveyors and they surveyed the campuses and the facilities um, that are attached to the Alameda Health System Board. Uh, they surveyed us under both hospital and behavioral health care accreditation manuals. The survey results that we only had two findings that were scored as high risk uh, compared to our previous performance in 2020. We had no condition level uh, findings under the conditions of participation for CMS. And that was a, a wonderful uh, achievement, which means that we are submitting our corrective action plans in writing and we will not be having a recertain. Um, this is a comparison of the uh, results between 2020 and 2023. Again, a um, lot of work went into this and again, applaud the AHS community for everything um, and holding steady and achieving this performance. Um, these were the findings per chapter. And I just wanted to tell you a little bit about what the opportunities are that we took away from our findings. So in, uh, in under medication labeling, we, we did receive a finding under medication labeling, an opportunity to shore up the completeness of documentation and information. Um, under instrument processing, which is a high area uh, focus for the Joint Commission, it has to do with infection prevention and harm. Uh, we have some opportunities with our processing um, and transportation. Ms. Ms. Perez, yes. uh, we're, we're losing audio slightly. Will you give us another audio check? Sure. Let me see. And I'll make an adjustment. That, that's better wherever you are right there. Good. All right. I made an adjustment too. Let me also get a little closer. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. I'll go back to patient rights record of care. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So some opportunities there uh, with consent um, and also a documentation of language interpretation services. Uh, so uh, those are being remediated. Um, infection prevention, again, large area of focus for the Joint Commission under prevention, hygiene, um, uh, as we separate, you know, keeping uh, supplies, uh, the, the, kind of the consistency of supplies, uh, storage, and, and ensuring that everything is kept intact. Um, environment and care and life safety, we had some findings there. Uh, those were mostly around some things that you would expect in a setting with some uh, age, I would say, and gentle weathering as our facilities, um, observations with some equipment uh, for safety and life safety things such as eye wash, um, healing tiles, um, some fire education. Um, and those, were, I, uh, those are uh, items that we've identified. Also with provision of care, uh, some uh, opportunities under assessments, and also uh, one other area was suicide uh, prevention, which is also a large focus. Miss uh, Perez, audio check one more time. Yes, can you, okay. Yeah, yeah, there we go, that's the magic spot. Hearing that suicide prevention uh, is an area of focus as well for the Joint Commission. And these findings are in line with uh, similar uh, health systems of our size and our diverse communities. And this was uh, acquainted with the Joint Commission process would say we had a very solid, very positive survey. So the next steps will be the work to do the remediation uh, to ensure that documentation is present, the monitoring is present, and that we meet compliance uh, for four consecutive months of goal 
and we submit all of that to the joint commission. And again, um, we really do focus on the last box, which is identifying opportunities uh, in other departments that weren't cited and looking to improve all areas with similar risks, not just the areas that were actually um, observed and cited during the survey. Um, it's just part of our journey for continuous quality improvement and our constant uh, journey to just always be uh, ready at all times to serve the next question. That's the end of my, uh, my slide. Thank you for that report, Ms. Press. Trustees, who wants to shower them first? <laughs> <laughs> Trustee Banerjee will go first. Yeah, amazing job. I mean, uh, just the work for the whole team uh, and for your team, Anna, for shepherding them throughout that week in so many ways and then prepping all the other teams. Like sometimes they told us what questions they would be asking or what they would be doing and the extra lengths to which you all went were, were amazing, but just what a difference from 2020 to 2023. That's, that's really great. I, I would Huge. agree. Yeah, uh, 2020 and 2023 are com are two different hospital systems, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, what a Herculean lift for for all of you guys, and you guys did it. So, I hope you are taking pause. I hope your chief medical officer has taken you out for dinner multiple times. Um, <laughs> so, uh, congrats to your to your team. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Ms. Perez, will you just remind us about the state of the health system with vis-a-vis -vis the Joint Commission? So Highland and San Leandro are good till 2026 now, right? Correct. Correct. We have three years uh, till 36 months till the next uh, <laughs> four. Um, Alameda Hospital is on a different cadence, so they will be the year before that. Right, so Alameda Hospital, congrats to them, did it last year. So they're good till 2025. Correct. Okay, wonderful. And then the corrective plans have to be like, are there things that within a certain time frame that they within have to 60 days. 60 they have days. To be submitted to the okay. Um, I guess my last question is for the quality team. Uh, at the closing ceremony, uh, ceremony is the wrong word. At the closing <laughs> session, um, uh, they made comment. They were they were just, despite some of the little nicks and hits we took here. They were quite complimentary of our system and made discussion about application for an award, Bernard Tyson Award. Has our system made efforts in in pursuit of that question? I don't believe we have. It's specific. So it's specifically around um, health equity yes. DEI. Yes. So, you know, I'm just saying they asked us to consider applying. Yes. <laughs> Point will take it. Yes, sir. Thank you. We yes, will follow. So, yeah, okay. I, I will talk to many. I think we immediately went into corrective action. Uh, of course, yes, of course. Yes. As dust is settling and you get to you get to uh, pat, pat ourselves, pat yourselves on the back. I want I want I would love more more stuff in the in the trophy case for you guys. Okay. Um, with that, we will close out item D, and then Ms. Torres gets to keep the floor to take us uh, through the rest of open session. Uh, Ms. Torres, you got dealer's choice here. You can do the throughput deep dive, or you can do the TNM dashboard. If we're sticking with the agenda, the deep dive goes first, if you're okay with that. I'm okay with that. Do we want to do those two and then go to post a queue? 
Oh, sorry. I thought, sorry, sorry. Apologies. Uh, I, I jumped. So item D2, post-acute. Uh, Mr. Espinoza, good evening. Apologies. No, not at all. Thank you for having me. Um, and they are like closing ceremonies. It's like an Olympic event for everybody. So uh, thanks for having me. Um, just to piggyback on that, uh, just wanted to shout out, uh, there were no findings in our ARU uh, clinical program during the Joint Commission survey. And so really a shout out to that team and also no findings in our rehabilitation programs, both inpatient and outpatient. So just phenomenal work all around our system. Um, our uh, CMS five-star ratings came out uh, yesterday for May, but for April and May, uh, all of our SNFs and subacute units continue with five-star rated quality measures. Um, they continue to do their hard work on proactive um, action plans and things of that nature to make sure that they're trying to deliver the best care possible. Uh, within the last 30 days, there have been four CDPH visits, one to the acute rehab unit and one to South Shore with three um, uh, alleged concerns and uh, all of them exited with no findings. So the surveyor did not find any um, anything unusual um, and actually complimented the teams on their great documentation. Um, and then just some things that we're working on um, peripherally and more globally that we're collaborating with Alameda Alliance on uh, quality metrics for SNFs um, and the interdisciplinary team collaboration now that CalAIM has shifted Medi-Cal fee-for-service to the managed care program. So um, very proud that uh, Alameda Alliance uh, enjoys collaborating with our teams to kind of set the bar and, and create new programs. Um, so we're excited about that collaboration. We, we are also currently collaborating with the California Hospital Association during the comment period right now for new CMS um, related proposed metrics for 2024 uh, for skilled nursing facilities. And so we're working closely on ensuring that our comments are heard, um, why we think or think things should be changed. Um, and so uh, finalizing that this week. Uh, and then also there was a 32% reduction in falls from March to April across the five post-acute sites. Uh, the teams are really focused on their proactive measures. And so to quantify what that means in numbers, there were uh, 17 falls over the uh, month of April for all five sites. Uh, so over 300 patients. Um, it's a pretty small percentage. It's about three falls per site per month. Um, and then lastly, um, I'm not sure if you if the board knows, but we have a um, an outbreak at Fairmont, which um, we all thought COVID was over to some degree, uh, but uh, it was a pretty significant um, outbreak where we were up to 39 positive residents, most of them uh, asymptomatic. Um, uh, but we've been working closely with public health and CDPH and believe that this is potentially the new variant which has started on the West Coast and is very uh, transmissible, um, which triggered uh, HSAG, which is Health Services Advisory Group, part of CMS's quality improvement organization to reach out to the building just to have some understanding and do an audit and assessment called an infection prevention and control assessment. Um, which has nine different um, domains that they're assessing. 
and they sent back the report, uh, I believe it was yesterday, and uh, there were zero recommendations, zero comments for improvements. Um, and they had a comment saying that the facility was um, doing a remarkable job and a leader in the industry. And so to hear that from one of the highest regulators in the country from the federal government was pretty impressive for our teams to hear. And uh, really just uh, acknowledgement to their hard work, their ability to shift um, on a dime and to uh, move quickly. We're even moving into practices that go above and beyond CDPH and CMS uh, recommendations, which we now have uh, seen that this is slowing down more quickly since we've done that. So really kudos in the post-acute environment, um, great collaboration system-wide and uh, Thank you for the time for letting me share this. Of course, every month. Um, uh, Mr. Espinoza, you continue to show the organization what a high bar it is to set um, that we should all be uh, aspiring to. So thank you for that, for that. And we'll see you next month too. Trustees? Yeah. Congratulations to your team. Amazing work. Uh, we'll, with that, we'll end uh, item D. And now we'll go to item E. This is... Um, uh, uh, a throughput on, uh, uh, sorry, a deep dive on the, uh, the issue of throughput. Uh, as uh, trustees remember, uh, we have a deep dive, uh, a so-called column uh, that we use uh, for uh, which we see the equity lens. So uh, this is, I think, the fourth installment we've done of this, if I'm counting right, and um, some really interesting data. Ms. Torres? I'm actually Annette's doing the deep dive. Good evening, Ms. Johnson. <laughs> Annette, will you voice check us? Annette, audio check for us. She's on here. Okay, um, got it. Um, I'm just having some difficulty with my screens. Um, can you? We can see check. it. Yeah, if you go to presentation mode. Slide. Hold on a second. It's being very stubborn. <coughs> it's not going to do. That's all right. What we'll do is just give me two seconds. I apologize. All good. <laughs> I have too many screens. <laughs> Screen three. Does that work? That's yeah, perfect. Okay. All right. So um, we're going to take a look at um, the. Uh, we have this True North metric that's been on our True North metric dashboard for several years now, and it sort of looks at our patients that are admitted from the ED. Um, and what it really looks at is the time from the decision to admit meaning we know that there are patients that are going to require inpatient care to the time that they depart the ED headed to an inpatient bed. And the reason that this is an important metric is that these patients, if they stay for a prolonged period of time in the ED, they overtax the ED because they require inpatient care, but they're in an ED setting. So we're sort of asking our staff to stretch to provide that extra level of care. And so it, it, it creates stress on our staff it creates bottlenecks for new patients waiting to come in and it increases the risk of those patients receiving um, 
lower standards of care than, than they need to be seeing. So it's a real, it's a real problem for the EDs. So we want to take a uh, look. So what I did first is I stratified our um, overall system-wide median time from admit, admit dispo to uh, admit disposition to inpatient emissions. And I sort of classified it by uh, race. Um, and um, you can see here that his, our Hispanic population had a significantly higher um, median time um, of all of all of our races that comprised more than 10% of our total popu population. So that was um, a little bit troubling. Any any race that you see in gray is it represents less than 10% of our total population. <clears throat> so then I took a look, um, decided to divide it down by the last two fiscal years to see if this uh, there was any variation from year to year. And you can see that um, our Hispanic population again rose to the top um, with nearly a seven hours waiting for an inpatient bed. So uh, decided to stratify this down a bit more. So I looked at the campus level and I had one of these moments where did I do my math wrong? Because all of a sudden we had a very clear trend that disappears at the campus level. Um, what I do wanna point out though, it took me a little bit of time of staring at it is when we look at the median times that we're seeing for Highland, San Leandro and Alameda, there's a very different length of time that Highland experiences compared to San Leandro and Alameda, right? San Leandro and Alameda tend to be uh, around four, five to, five to three and a half hours, right? Whereas uh, Highland is up above 10. For the most so that made me take a look at, then why did our Hispanic population dis disperse? So then I took a look to see where are our patients being seen? And so you can see that the 72% of our almost, or almost 72% of our patients, our Hispanic patients are being seen at Highland. So that's why they come out at the top, even though at the campus level, they actually are, are, um, have shorter lengths to stay than some of our other racial groups. So you can almost see the, the, the populations that had the highest length to stay from the system perspective, the more of the, that patient, patient that's seen at Highland, the, um, the higher their lengths are time of the length, their lengths of waiting for an inpatient bed are. Um, so this is really more of an artifact about the difference between Highland and, and San Leandro and Alameda than it is a difference in race for wait time. So I took a look, I wanted to take a look at then Highland, um, which is interesting. Uh, we do have sort of a, a three-way tie with our three largest uh, patient populations with our African, Asian, and white populations in very close proximity. There were about a <laughs> difference between um, these populations as we look at both uh, the two years combined and the in years individually. What I think is interesting is I always thought that perhaps language would be uh, a, a factor in length of stay waiting for inpatient beds because it sometimes slows people down to deal with a translator. But yet we see that our Hispanic population is <laughs> lower populations. So I don't, I still don't know if language is or isn't an artifact. Perhaps we have greater language or Asian, or sorry, Hispanic uh, language services than maybe perhaps we have for some of our Asian populations. And that might be why our Hispanic population is sitting lower. There are other factors that could be playing into this that I haven't yet had time to slice and dice into. I don't know if there's acuity differences within these patient populations, like are some of our patient populations waiting longer to come into the ED and thus are sicker. Um, 
And so those are sort of the next things that I'd like to explore as we take a look at what is leading um, our increased length of, lengths of time waiting for inpatient admission. So I, I, my goal is to uh, do a deeper dive into our Highland results. I wanna look at race and acuity, and I also wanna look at race and language to see if there's opportunities in those two uh, measure sets to sort of explain the differences that we're seeing in our patient populations. To that effect though, um, we do have seen, we have seen, and I think I've told you this many times in our North metric breakdowns, an opportunity. We've seen our ED throughput times increase. Um, we do, so to that effect, we're consistently working on it. We're reviewing our ED admissions and our inpatient discharges to understand common causes for delay. I know each community, each campus is looking, has a team looking at those to specifically target the issues that are slowing down admissions for their campus. I know that Dr. Uh, Dana Littlepage worked extensively to expand bed control resources to help uh, per, help move those patients out of the ED and into inpatient beds to, to resolve any delays that are occurring. And then of course we have our transfer center, which is really helping us to maximize our beds throughout the system so that we can offload sort of our overburden campus that is Highland and move our patients into the appropriate level of care at the right time. The very quick, but um, uh, brief analysis. Are there questions? Steve? And I thank you for this. This is the first time actually I've seen a native population also um, shown in that there is a subgroup uh, from Hedy that is working on like how might we be focusing on like our indigenous native population over here. So I am just like they are uh, in terms of time um, and the, they are like right there among the highest. And it would be interesting to see what barriers are there with this subpopulation. Sometimes they're so invisibilized in our system. I think we don't always know who is. Um, and uh, that's another opportunity too. But thank you, this is fascinating. Yeah, agree. Annette, this Taft, I mean this in the most complimentary way. You are a total geek and geeks speak to geeks. So, I mean, this is, this is actually great data. And they, as they say, great data often begets more questions than answers. And boy, we have a lot of questions here. Um, I'm gonna segue a, a brief question, which I'll put as we discuss the new true North metric. This is sort of one of our column things. We've sort of been reporting what we've been seeing, but we don't really have targets for any of these things. So I think that'll be a question we'll bear out in the next section about how we do these kind of columns. Interesting things that we're reporting, it's sort of this observational, but how do we move, move, move the needle on any of these things? And I know there are 5 million questions underneath, um, but again, I'll, 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 I'll harken back to what Trustee Banerjee said before, which is sometimes done is better than perfect. Um, so finding some type of target, target to reduce these disparities, I think is a well worth exercise. And I think we'll discuss that when we go into true North method. So if I could make a brief, sir, of course, if I can make a brief comment, thank you for the presentation is very helpful. Um, and I had two thoughts about it. One is if we're going to be able to stand up and say, we're really true to what we think we're about, then we have to be vigilant and root out inequity wherever we find it. Right. This is the best way to find it. Yes. But then I see another problem. When I think about my son, who's a graduate from college this year, and his friends, 
a lot of those people would come here and you're going to give them a form or ask them the race and they've got a couple. And so I think in the future, this is going to get a lot harder. Yes. But hopefully by the time they're the majority of that generation is the majority of people will be good enough at it that it maybe we won't need it anymore almost. But, but for now, I know this is a lot of work to do this kind of thing, but it's really helpful to us to like look inside something like that on, you know, on a, such a narrow metric. Thanks. Yes. And then again, one more time, it's so fascinating. Well, you know, why is there a two hour difference? Is it language? Is it acuity? Uh, is the population at Alameda and San Leandro the same as Highland? We have STEMIs here. We have traumas at Highland. Man, so fascinating. Such, 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 such really great questions. And one question, Annette, not for you, but for our ELT. Throughput was one of the best initiators, right? Yes. So how, how has that, that like, how has that worked? I know that's been the harder one for them yeah. to work. So our, um, our partnership with Huron around the BEST initiative was not, from my perspective, successful. Um, we, we are no longer paying um, them for that. And it's not necessarily a condition of the competency of Huron around this. They gave us a lot of good information and resources to work with. Um, we've really discovered that with throughput, um, we can do a, a really good job with case management and, you know, incrementally get a little shave off our length of state, but our issues are more, um, structural, physical. Um, physical, like cardia we're hoping helps. We've got to find places for our patients to go outside of our hospital. That's the big issue. And because they languish, they, we can't get them in a nursing home or we can't, get them here or there, or do rehab, wherever it may be. So that's why we're really looking internally about how do we partner and or develop these programs ourselves. And that's why I think one of the options for Alameda, Trustee Energy around what can we do more with post-acute would help our, our system at large. Um, so just a lot of thinking about that. We're, you know, we've talked about making um, Fairmont Building H a medical SNP, and Richard's on the line. That idea is still on top of our minds once we get South Shore back functioning. So it really lies with the, the structural issues we're having. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. You know what? Uh, this reminds me of an analogy that we've used before. Um, uh, for I, I used this one years ago. Uh, this concept of congestive hospital failure yeah. is sort of like parallel to congestive heart failure. When you think of a patient with congestive heart failure, there's sort of three mechanisms you can manipulate. There's the input you can have, we call that preload. You can put in too much preload. There's the pump, how the pump works. That's actually the hospital. Preload's kind of the ED in the community. The pump is the hospital. How are we being efficient? Is it three days to wait for an MRI? Uh, how long to get to a surgery? And then there's the outflow tract. Uh, which in which is in our case placement so we have uh using this this analogy of a, a heart i think we have uh, a couple of uh of opportunities to improve on the outtrack flow mm -hmm. uh, i think mr Fratsky is is trying to address that i i would argue that our pump flow is actually doing much better than it would be uh than, than it has in the past radiology is coming online in san leandro and the like and, and the preload, which is the input, that's sort of a fixed one, right? Yeah. We, that we, we, we don't have as much control of that. That relates to our partners around the system. So I think we're working on the pump and we're working on the outflow. I, I like the analogy in 
couple other things I will say is our transfer center is really coming along with their ability. That'll be pump, right? That's pump. Yeah. With their ability to be able to place our patients at other facilities within yeah. our system. Lastly, um, Dusty Gilliland, our VP of nursing, working with Dr. Farniel, are really doing a nice job of really figuring out how we can do OBS and how we can observation and how we can develop some kind of bed, maybe possibly beds within our ED to be able to turn patients over quickly and discharge them versus taking them up to the floor. So there's that just might a, be preload, right? You know, yeah, there's, yeah so that's kind of just a lot of this internal work we've yeah. got to do. Thank you for that. Uh, uh, Dr. Joshi, I think you had a comment. Yeah, I was going to comment that the data is really interesting. And I'm, you know, of course, personally really interested in this data because it impacts what we're doing every day. Um, one thing, you know, as we dive deeper into understanding it more is that the, um, the three hospitals are not the same. The patients who come are not the same. And, but how do you compare them? Even just simple as looking at size. Highland has about um, 44 beds minus whatever hallway and whatever extra flex space. San Leandro has 13, Alameda has 12 beds. So proportionally speaking, what would be a proportional time to be waiting? And then of course, the one other consideration is Highland is sort of a receiving area. We tend to send anything specialty requiring Okay. psychiatric requiring to Highland. Just the other night I worked, a young woman with likely new onset malignancy I sent from San Leandro to Highland. Same night, a young man who was on a 5150 with COVID I sent to Highland. And conversely, how much did we receive from Highland that night? So I'd just be interested in seeing what the deep dive of this data ends up looking like, because right now it's somewhat undifferentiated. But Annette, I hope that you can share what you continue to find. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Thank you. Any other comments on this section? I think it's a nice segue into Ms. Torres's next section, which is introducing us to a forecast um, for our quality relevant uh, True North metric items for 2324. Uh, I apologize, but that's Annette again. Oh. See Annette. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, before Annette. Uh, uh, launches in, what I wanted to do is just say a few words. What we're coming before you today asking for an action for approval of the next quality True, true North Math metric dashboard for next fiscal year. However, however, what we want to do ultimately is come back and share also what the structure underneath that dashboard will be. So this is just step one in our journey is really what is our, what are our metrics going to be for, for next year, but in order to really um, move on those metrics and achieve the targets that, that we want to achieve, we want to build out what the structure will be underneath that. And I think, Many of you heard the beginnings of that um, at the retreat, um, but that will be something that we will want to share with all of you through the quality uh, committee of the board over the next few months as that structure is built out. So with that, Annette, I'll hand it back to you. Actually, Dr. Tornabeni, I'm going to have a discussion with our board chair. Madam Chair I, uh, and Council, do we actually approve tonight? Isn't it the full board that approves? I can't remember. Do we make a recommendation? We make a recommendation. Ah, thank you. I'm looking now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, and I think we make a recommendation. Thank and then you. For the, for the whole board to approve. So uh, there's still a little bit of 
Well, actually, uh, the first week of uh, June, so I, I guess it's coming out very quickly. Second week of June Thank is coming, coming, coming very quickly. <clears throat> Ms. Johnson, back to you. Thank you. We have approved it here. Okay, did I get it right this time? I think I did. Okay. <clears throat> so we're going to take a look at uh, True North Metric Planning for fiscal year 2024. So just to let you know that, or to remind everybody, the purpose of the True North Metric dashboard at the QPSC level is to provide a pulse check um, to that our board of trustees, our staff, and even the community can use to evaluate how AHS is performing in regards to achieving its strategic goal with the ultimate goal of becoming the number one safety net system in the country. This is our True North Metric dashboard uh, for this fiscal year, 2023. You can see that we, um, uh, use the STEEP protocol, which comes out of IHI. I have a, that really looks at making sure that we're addressing all components of quality and safety. And then we are looking at our baseline, our goal, current performance, fiscal year to date, and then trending that data over time so we can see not only how we're we currently performing, but are we trending upwards or downwards uh, and sustaining improvement. When we talk about the six domains of quality of care, we were looking at, our, is our care safe? Is it effective um, in achieving the intended purpose? Is it patient-centered so that our patients understand and, um, and are, are having a good experience with the patient care? Is it timely? Are our patients having to wait or, or are there bottlenecks in our care? Is it efficient? Um, are we using our resources to the maximum value to see the most amount of people? And then equity, which is sort of the domain that I'll be honest with you, we just really started to address in 2023 and we want to continue to expand upon in 2024. So in addition to um, steep, we also take a look at sort of some guiding principles for how do we pick and choose uh, metrics? How do we define them in a way that's meaningful? So we, of course, we always want to align with our strategic goals. And we, again, we want to, you know, I am a total data nerd. And so I often have to be reminded to make sure that my metrics are accessible, you know, that they can be understood um, by everyone. Sometimes, you know, we have some very complex metrics out there that are, you know, statistically valid, but really don't really tell someone um, unless they're a true data nerd or what's really happening. Um, and then this one is the big one. I think that we sort of can expect improve upon in fiscal year 2024, which is accountability. Um, what we want to do is make sure that all of our metrics that we place on the True North metric dashboard, not only have an owner, but have sort of a team, an owner, a, a performance improvement lead and a physician leader to help drive those metrics, to provide them with the support that they need to make that improvement. So that improvement is happening at the operational level, but they're getting some expertise on how to drive that performance improvement and make sure that whatever they build is a sustainable um, change over the long haul. And because we continue to sort of balance our true north metric goal setting between aspirational and achievable, we always look at clinical relevance. And again, equity is the other area that we really want to expand on in fiscal year 2024, not only including equity as um, a column, which we've sort of been doing throughout fiscal year 23, but also metrics and really working on building a foundation to expand beyond. We have a really good infrastructure for measuring race, ethnicity, and language, but we'd like to start looking at, can we expand our ability to measure sexual orientation, gender identity, and social determinants of health. Um, and of course, we want to make sure that we have a mix. 
we want to include all of our service service lines in our True North metrics, as well as making a mix of specific goals as well as broad goals when um, working on True North metrics. So this is our True North metrics for fiscal year 2024. What we are recommending is that we remove two True North metrics um, that were on our dashboard from 2023. These relate to ambulatory care. Um, it is continuously assigned but seen as well as our specialty care backlog. The reason for this being that we feel that these metrics are um, gonna be transferred to the ambulatory care level um, to be addressed and followed while we work, um, work, we sort of focus really in on our third next available, which really looks at access and our patient's ability to get appointments. We will still track those other two metrics at the ambulatory level. They're not going away and they will be monitored. Um, the other uh, revision that we're looking for here is our 30-day all-cause readmission rate. Um, if you take a look at, uh, sorry, if you take a look at our 30-day readmission rate, you can see that we've made tremendous improvement over the years. We have a very strong performance trending downwards. However, when we stratified this readmission rate um, by race and ethnicity, you can see that we have a, our African-American population, while trending down, is still significantly higher than our overall readmission rate. So we're thinking that we've made gains, but we still have some additional area to grow specifically for our Black and African-American population. This will allow us to address that disparity as well as continue to monitor readmissions so that the changes we have made are sustained and embedded and expanded to this population. <clears throat> and then the, we're also asking to add a brand new metric here. This is our equity as a row. So not just only as a column, but as a row. We want us, that's that expansion of our ability to capture data to potentially stratify our results. We wanna look at what is our social determinants of health positivity rate. So how many of our patients are suffering from food insecurity, housing insecurity, and can we measure that and then um, compare that with our, our healthcare outcomes in the future. So we want to establish that, establish that rate this fiscal year and make the commitment to build that infrastructure. So that being said, this is ultimately what our Turner dashboard we'd like it to look like in fiscal year 2024. You can see here that we are keeping our steep. We are, you see the metrics I just spoke about. And what we're adding on to is not only an overall rate, but also what is our worst performing category for from a real, from a race, ethnicity, and language perspective to say, so not only do we know how we're performing overall, but where that we're, where is that group that needs the most amount of help? And how how is that truly different from our overall or or do we not, do we have a disparity or do we not to take a look at that? And then in addition to that, to help drive accountability, we are going to add on our True North Director dashboard, who is that team that is helping us drive performance and include them on the dashboard, the, the operational leader, the PI lead and the physician champion, as well as ask them to provide us at a very high level, what are the strategies that they're deploying on this dashboard to drive those metrics? So it's truly transparent to the organ to you, to the organization, to the staff, and to our patients. Any questions? I'll, I'll open it up for discussion if that's okay. And then uh, you'll be our subject matter expert, <laughs> Trustee Banner. I mean, this is amazing. I, I don't know. I, 
yeah, this is this is from from the underlying guiding principles to what you've chosen. I I think this is amazing. Um, Trustee Sign, any comments, questions? Well, first, I want to be clear on something. The the orange lines are um, benchmarks, I guess. Of there are goals. There are our goals versus performance. This is all internal. Or orange is goal. I think blue mm -hmm. is blue is performance. Just the goals. And, and even our goals are internal goals. We are not benching against a national right. or other safety net. So, we are benchmarking against ourselves. So in the year prior to the metric that we have on two pages ago, we, can you go back two pages, Annette? Did it not go back? 2023. Back to the 2023 dashboard. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> there we go, that's what I'm looking at. Um, so basically, we or you, because I wasn't here, said this is what we want to shoot for, and we really didn't hit it. Um, but that's okay because these are goals, not benchmarks. I was, you know, being a little hard on ourselves since we want to be the best safety net hospital. We have to benchmark against others. Um, so, but still, like, how do we feel about that we didn't get there? I mean. Is it, did we set the bar too high? And how do we set the bar? I think that those are, I think those are great. How are we going to do that? I think these are great questions. Annette, can you comment on uh, uh, the utility of national benchmarks, perhaps on this dashboard, a third line? Or, or just how they play into our goal setting, yeah. So we did have goal setting principles for fiscal year 2023 that we applied sort of universally to all of our metrics. If a metric was reported nationally um, and it was used in the, and, uh, by CMS or Joint Commission, we, would, we, we said we had to be at the 50th percentile. That's what the target we set for ourselves. Um, <clears throat> if, we, if a metric was not uh, nationally uh, reported, then we would look for comparable peer groups. So we looked at things like um, FHQCs, um, America's Essential Hospitals peer, as peer groups. I mean, we worked with John George very closely. You don't see this metric, but John George has his own dashboard um, to see which physician, which hospitals in and around California were similar to John George and created a peer group. And then from there, we said you had to be at the 50th percentile for that peer group. Um, if we didn't have benchmarks for them, some of our metrics, like our, our harm composite, we don't have benchmarks for because we're talking about a roll up of harms. We would then aim for a 10% reduction from base from our baseline our previous fiscal year so that we're continuously trying to improve so and that's what we would ostensibly be doing going forward or something quite similar for the changes that are proposed for next year then right i do have a question here so we have again gone back to inpatient i know we do have a primary return uh, days to third available <clears throat> Which one, third one down? Uh, in the keep, keeping it timely, in the timely things. But um, so we don't have any post acute here. So post acute is included in our harms index. We do track uh, falls and hospital acquired pressure ulcers for both our inpatient and our post acute in our, our harm roll up. And we also include a post acute in our hand hygiene as well. I, I, I think. May I trust? 
Yes. I, I think trustee manager brings up a good point, which I was thinking about earlier that I actually forgot about. Uh, we added uh, Mr. Espinoza's item as a D2 because there, there, there's there are differences in, in post-acute than us. Wouldn't it be logically followed to have their similar dashboard presented to us? Richard, are you in the are you in the room? Uh, yeah, so. I am in the room. And actually, Dr. Tornabeni and I are meeting on Friday um, to discuss um, the True North metrics for post-acute. So we do have our own um, uh, slide deck that we have. And so uh, Dr. Tornabeni and I will be meeting on that on Friday. So, so to Trustee Banerjee's point, giving us greater visualization over what's happening in, in, with the great things in post-acute, I think that might be, if you will, a 1A or, or, or to follow this. Um, Dr. Tornavene, thoughts? Oh, uh, yeah, my hand was up for uh, another oh, reason, <laughs> but I, I, I couldn't agree more that, that Richard and I are imminently working through what that will look like. Yeah, and, and, and I guess the question is, is it, is it too difficult to integrate it into this board that would take these 11 items to whatever, or do we just make it a parallel board that we also look at? We'll sort of defer to the quality team and Mr. Espinoza on that question. Is that acceptable? Yeah. Or, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I wonder if also if we want to have a dedicated post-acute metric on on this, or or you know, to one of the strategies is to perhaps QPSC could recommend this board provisionally, you know, and we can come back at a later date uh, with the addition of one. We did do that. Um, you know, we, we have done that before uh, with kind of having some last minute adjustments. Okay. I, uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Dr. Donovan. Uh, I'm looking back for statement of purpose of HS's quality TNM is like, this is something for our community yes. as our board and our staff to see. So mm -hmm. we've the past talked about like they should understand it across all care settings how our inpatient is how our primary care is how our behavioral health is how our post acute is so that they because our community is accessing our care in every of these settings and so like how might we did have to have one if, if we have the others i mean would that also have the same would they also be called mm. true metric so that our community could also see what it meant to be for a post-acute of our behavior? I, I think that's a great comment. And, you know, I was reminded from the retreat, Trustee Fox uh, gave me a light bulb moment. He goes, well, what does that mean? So, so, so I, I, I guess my first comment is readability of the metric to the lay person. To, to the patient. So uh, quite frankly, even you, when you ask providers and you ask them what a third next available is, they just kind of roll the uh, third next available I know is used as the industry standard, but maybe we could use the English version, which is just uh, primary days to primary care return appointment. Uh, just thinking about how we could simplify the language of the metrics uh, for people in the board, knowing what it actually means. You know, health quick healthcare acquired patient harm Good luck if you're a patient understanding what that means. Um, so uh, uh, harmed in the hospital or some, whatever setting. So I think this is maybe one way to sort of engineer the readability 
of this. I know Ms. Uh, Johnson, you, uh, you, again, shared geek code here, but uh, a lot of uh, people don't look at these data. So wouldn't it be great if you put this dashboard in front of a layperson and they were able to make, make two, two, two cents about it? Uh, that, that's my first comment. My second comment is, can you do the 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 uh, requ uh, the uh, proposed new item SDOH positivity rate? W what does that actually mean? Is it just going to be a report, or is there a target? I think we Are want we to just re to report the positivity rate. So just to establish a baseline this year, because we're still in the act of building the infrastructure to measure. Uh, social determinants of health, so I don't even have a baseline on to which to set a goal. So I guess my question, and this comes out of an old article out of Susan Ehrlich out of San Francisco General, their first thing was to measure what percentage of people were gathering the data on. So what if, again, uh, I, I'm not trying to blow up everything, but what if that was a metric? We're going to target that we have 90% of people for which we measure SDOH stuff. Question mark? We are not measuring on everybody. Um, what percentage of people are we measuring on? So part of what the equity, equity analytics work group mm -hmm. is looking at some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so we're going out and starting to do audits. We're starting with the real data to see how it's being collected. Um, and what I think we have less than a 5% unknown rate, but that's part of what we're looking at is digging down and looking at that process. So SDOH um, would be one of those. Initially, it's just a metric. Um, it, it, it actually is going to mirror one of the CMS metrics that we're going to be required to collect. Um, but doesn't that include the, isn't that premised upon having the data sets? So, I mean, uh, again, I guess my question is, what percentage of people do we, do we have all this data on? Uh, Susan Ehrlich at San Francisco General, their target was 100%. And they achieved it at year two. And now they have all the stuff they need to do to answer all these questions. It's just my question. Yeah. Do we have anyone from the equity data here in the in our audience? Do we have one? E the equity data folks in the audience here? Like the um, Annette? Yes, I would. Annette. <laughs> and myself, Dr. Swift, we've got Nathan. We've got a few people from registration, but I don't think they're on the call. But, but to Dr. Kath's uh, point, we are, it is one of CMS's goals to measure both, are you collecting it? So what percentage of people are being screened for social determinants of health? And then what is the positivity rate amongst those that you collect it with? So we will be building the infrastructure to measure both. And, and actually one of the things we had talked about was, do we start with, are we collecting it? Or do we actually go beyond, are we collecting it and actually look at the positivity rate? And we actually debated that and it felt like we would be pushing ourselves harder to both be, you know, to be really looking at not just collecting it for as many people as, as we can, but also to really be reporting on the positivity rate, which is why this one ended up here. And we didn't stop at just, are we collecting it? But for the, for the debate, uh, the positivity re re uh, rate for the next year will just be a report. So there's nothing for us to sort of action on, is there? And the, well, um, right. Could we do both? Going back to the readability, what positivity sounds like a, a test where you've mm -hmm. got the disease. Yeah. What, what does that really mean? That, that someone had one of the social... That Meaning had, that poverty, housing, okay, security, they, they so they are actually yeah. 
having that risk factor. Well, that's a good one that could use it better. Right. <laughs> yes. Maybe there could be a translate, you know, a different, the same data, but the word's different for outside as yeah. opposed to what we would use. But thank you. I'm sorry for my. No, 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 no. no, no sorry. Is. This is what we're here for to happen. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Tornum, any thoughts? Because um, if we if we do this just as SDOH positivity rate just by itself, we're just measuring. So there's actually no target for us. So that'll be blank. The goal will be blank, which is I, not horrible. But uh, how do we action upon? Well, the goal you were talking about is a different goal, which is the goal of how much data we harvest or yeah. what proportion we harvest the data on, and then. The answer to that data is what this is, and I think both of those things are valuable. <clears throat> and so did I hear, uh, 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 was it Trustee Banerjee that you were suggesting maybe adding both to this? Is that uh, that's a, a recommendation? I, I think I, my understanding was somehow I thought that through Epic, we were just every patient that came, there was some screening that was done. So I didn't even know that, that we were that, that not collecting yes. the data. So I thought we'll see the positivity because we are already collecting the data. So I don't know, I'll defer to the people who are here and your equity analytics group. So I, I, I don't think we know how complete that data is. Um, Which I think is part of what we yeah. could measure. The question is, do we want to put it on this board? Mm -hmm. or Measure it and submit it to QFC. Um, but I think we can certainly look at it. I don't know that we know the completeness yet. Because I think that's dashboardable for us. <laughs> if we only have 42% of the data, oh my God, what resources do you need to gather 100% of the data? And it's a big part of the yeah. story of, yeah, of the load that we're, you know, the job that we're doing here. And it gives us some type of thing to help intervene upon as just a reporting on a phenomenon that we see. Uh, you know, you might say we have 42% of the data and we've done a deep dive and we found out that our, uh, not against the, our registration people aren't asking these three questions. Oh, okay. There's an education model. We have four things that we can do. Oh, now we've pushed it to 72% at year one. So, so maybe both. Sorry, I, now I'm hurting the quality team. I'm sorry. <laughs> not to bring up the competition, but I know a, a fair amount about another health system. And every time I visit, when they go in the blood pressure, they say, are you safe at home? Yeah. Does anybody mean to you? And there's a bunch of questions, not these though, yeah. but maybe that's a better place than registration because then you're always asking. It. Yeah. Because the person last year had an apartment, now is, you know, no longer has a roof. Right. And it changes all the time. So, but we didn't catch it in registration because of a process or whatever. Registration is kind of a different thing, yeah, yeah. yeah, than taking the blood pressure and checking the patient. You do it regularly. You don't register people for outpatient visits, right? Maybe you do. I don't know how it works exactly, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, some that's a different kettle of fish, but it's a different way to collect the data that might be more effective. Uh, and my last, I'm now making the quality team not like me right now, but it's okay <laughs> um, because I still love them. So, so my last comment was on the proposed for all cause 30 day readmissions for black and African American patients. I guess my question, wouldn't it be maybe by race? And if I could in my mind's eye, what we're trying to do is close the gap between races. So I can imagine what's the worst performer by race and, low, and best, best performer. 
I would want to close that gap and I'm making up a number by 50% at the end, rather than picking one race. And that way we would elevate an attack on uh, an attack is our own work. We would have measures to reduce all of the races. We're trying to close the disparity gap rather than just by one. So yeah, I would say you the take that to mean you want yeah, to lower I, the people doing well on. Yeah. So yeah, but well, you know, that would be improve them, decrease the others. To, uh, so I'm looking for gap closure between by race, not just for one. I think what I understood is that each, even something that is safety, like health care acquired patient harm, we are not just seeing an aggregate because you can reduce the aggregate, but you can increase the disparity. Yes. So that even for that, though it's coming under safety, you're disaggregating the data to see who is doing better, who is doing worse in this. So even all of the other horizontals have disaggregation, but then one is wow. so bad that we are focusing on that to say like of all of the races, like this one is out of, but way out of the norm. And so, but I'm assuming that all cause 30 day readmissions, we are looking at all, or at the disaggregation at, at the horizontal level. Is that, am I right? Yeah, I see. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, and, and it almost feels like there should be a, a column, yeah, yeah. A, of, a row and a column. Right. For, for every one of these measures, yes. you want to know how's that impacting, you know, our different populations. Um, and you, you have some metric that would be how much deviation there is or something among groups as, as a, you know, an item in each of these rows. And I don't that, know how we can calculate all that. Oh, well, that's so, an, a net superpower. Because this has the column for each of the metrics. It does. Maybe I'm not understanding. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, 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 so each of these the will actually. Actually, yeah, Okay. So, yes, yes. actually, these will Thank explode you. out. Yeah, they will yeah. all explode okay. out to see who is doing. Okay. This is just the highlight. And, 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 and why you added. Uh, for Black Americans. The Black is that targeted universalism. We are looking at everybody, but from wait times in the ED throughput to this, this one subgroup consistently is facing barriers. And so we want to actually show you how this group is doing. Is, is that right? Yeah, it was yeah. so much higher than all the other groups. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. And it also felt like an opportunity to, to model from a quality improvement perspective, what we want our QI teams to be doing. You know, which is really to to disaggregate the data, understand where disparities are, and then create targeted strategies to reduce that disparity. Yeah. Uh, sir, uh, sir, yeah. and in many instances, if you can reduce it um, with the worst, those same tactics are applicable yeah. for the full, and right. everything gets reduced. Perfect. That's a good yeah. Rising tide. When you design for the most, yes, everybody, yes. Yeah. You know, in theory, they should come right closer. It reminds me of the um, <clears throat> the curb cuts. You know, okay. the whole curb yes. cut theory, where it was designed to uh, for a specific group, if you will, but it benefited so many others. And I would hope, in the same way that the beloved program right. is, you know, helping so many other, you know, ethnic groups, but it's also helping the one that was the most um, disparate in terms of our outcomes, so.
Okay. Well, I'm happy because great dialogue happened. So, so uh, uh, Ms. Torres, Dr. Tornabene, Thompson, do you feel like you got the, the guidance from, from us that you needed? Yes, definitely. Uh, we will work on the wordsmithing, you know, really on that with the principle of accessibility. Um, and we'll talk through the what it would look like to add the, um, I'll call it the screening rate for social determinants um, of health. Uh, we'll, we'll look at what it would take um, to add that. And then in addition, my hand had been up earlier just to, Annette, would you go back up to the other side around what we're removing? Just as an added item, I just wanted to call out that, that um, there were essentially four ambulatory metrics and we're going down to two. Part of what was the thought process behind that was around really just focusing on access, access that, for example, percent continuously assigned patients seen in primary care in the last two years. Um, that was, you know, we wanted to bring in uh, assigned but unseen um, patients as well. And we felt like, well, let's just look at the third next available and focus on access, access, access in primary and specialty care. And then in the backlog, what we saw was a lot of variation based on, you know, when, uh, if a physician was on medical leave or, you know, et cetera, that the backlog would go up and, and fluctuate. So it, it wasn't uh, really a great or useful metric. And that's why we're focusing on the TNAA. Yes, ma'am. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, it was. And, and uh, someone could read, what does this mean for bi-specialty? I totally agreed. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a, uh, we, gave it, we gave that metric a try. Is there anything behavioral health-wise that can be added here, that one thing that might give the public some and the board some idea about how your, um, our behavioral health John George is doing? Yeah, hi, this is Patty um, from John George. Hi, Patty. Hey, um, yeah, actually we've been we've been looking at we've had several um, lengthy meetings with um with quality looking at this and um, making sure we're 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 not, we haven't totally landed, but I think we're close. The um what we're really trying to do this time is make sure that we're comparing ourselves to um, like psych facilities and really defining ourselves as a psych hospital you know, apart from the, the full system metrics, but keeping some of the same um, uh, metrics as the system, like, um, you know, like the stay and, and readmits. But we're, the, the one area we're really still trying to come up with the, the best idea on is related to the patient experience. And um, we're working with Angela, Angela Ng and um, Annette um, and others to make sure that, that we get away from, this time that we get away from just sitting on likelihood to recommend because, you know, 90% uh, of our people are, are on an involuntary hold. And so it's kind of a incongruous um, uh, metric to look at. So we're really trying to understand out of, out of our possibilities, what we can look at, what, what will really give us the most bang for our buck in terms of analyzing, you know, do people feel treated with dignity and respect? And, and what was their, their overall care experience like from participating in their treatment to you know, communication, et cetera. Um, the other thing is that we're trying to only maybe pull out and com compete only with other safety net sites. So, so we're really looking at, can we just get stick with, how do we compare, com, 
next to Zuckerberg and uh, maybe Contra Costa Regional, you know, maybe, um, uh, you know, other like organizations. So it's making sure we have that um, to rank ourselves again, instead of just competing with ourselves. What I think I heard is nothing, nothing ready for prime time yet. Mm. Mr. Mr. So every single at every single month at our moors, um, Annette creates for us a site specific scorecard. And the scorecard is congruent and cascades from the system, the one you see. <coughs> so we have those and we look at them every month. John George has one. We look at it every month. Patty's talking about taking what they have and making some nuanced changes to it. So if, if you wanted to see the monthly true North metric scorecard for all of our facilities, those could be put in this packet as a, as a uh, written agenda. It, it, it looked just like the true North metric scorecards in the system, very integrated with them. And it would give you an idea of how each one of our sites are doing because there are there's tremendous variation these sites. Thank you, Mr. Fresky. Uh, quality team, those reports are already built, right? I'm trying not to ask you before. Yes, I every year to build them. Would it be possible to include a selection of those in the uh, written reports agenda? Yes. Thank you, sir. So um, do you guys think you have what you need? I think so. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was very helpful. Council. So uh, you are recommending to the full board. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll defer to Trustee Banerjee to make a motion. <laughs> the motion was that we um, this to the full board with uh, uh, with some of the uh, common uh, the suggestions with the feedback and suggestions had to be brought to the Jan June fourteenth meeting for adoption of the true not metrics by the full board. I'll second that, <laughs> Madam Clerk. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Sands. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you, trust. Uh, thank you, quality team. So with that, we uh, uh, end our open session agenda items, uh, planning calendar. We uh, uh, we will continue to have our normal calendar. We just had our board retreat. Uh, just in terms of forecasting for our trustees, remember the whole board is dark in August except for the quality committee uh, as we look a couple of months in advance. Um, trustees, anything else on the top? Uh, planning calendar or issue tracking? Nope, just kudos Sorry. to the quality team. Yes, kudos. With that, we will end uh, the open session for uh, this May 24, 2023. We'll go into closed session and we'll come back out and make any announcements if any uh, thing of import happens in closed session. Uh, Council. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. The uh, quality committee of the board will now go into closed session to consider the items as stated on the agenda. All right, uh, we've just returned from closed session council. Uh, the quality committee of the board met in closed session and approved the medical staff report. There were no report of other reportable actions taken. Thank you, council. With that, we'll close the May 24th, 2023 QPSC. Everyone have a great evening. Thank you. Have a good evening.